Welcome back or welcome to the Next Level Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, and always we are brought to you by Apex Performance, the only leadership and performance training company focused exclusively on the security industry. And I'm excited to be joined today by uh, none other than Joe Henry, a partner and participant in the Apex movement and and and. Uh, Joe is gonna. We're gonna talk about an interesting, I think, relevant and timely topic here today around um, organizational design. Um, define it. Define what it means for the security industry. What does it mean as a security leader? Why should you care about it? And how can you use it to uh, optimize and uh, uh, take your team and your organization uh, to the next level? So. Now, Joe, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. I want you, I'd love you to tell me and our audience a little bit about yourself. You know, like most of us, you have kind of a a um, an interesting journey to the security industry, and you've kind of even kind of come in and out of it and been around it. And and you know, I know it still has a passion for you, and and you kind of work adjacent to it now. But tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into it, um, what your journey's been like, and then we can talk a little bit about the topic of of organizational design. Yeah, well, John, first, uh, th thanks for having me on here. Um, it's really, really great to be here with you today. Um, you know, my my genesis story into security is is, is rather uh, conventional and unconventional at the same time, right? So um, I started out, I guess my first introduction into the security industry as as a person or myself occupationally was, was in college as a bouncer, right? So... Um, every football player who who needs money on the weekends, right, is is a bouncer <laughs> at some rinking dink club in some podunk town wherever they play football. Um, and that was my introduction, but but that quickly changed uh, when I finished playing uh, football. Finished college, I I, I jumped right in uh, foot first, and I jumped into EP, which is often not the starting point uh, for anybody's career uh, in security and. That, that was a really eye-opening experience and well, how the hell does some some snot-nosed you know kid coming right out of college get into you know a high-speed career path like that that's because uh I, I grew up in a law enforcement family right so i had mm -hmm. my, my dad had recently retired my uncles and they started up a small company and it was going really well and, and it started off with me um just wanted to make a little bit extra money. um and, and then it quickly turned into something that i, I found out I was pretty good at, um, and, and not in the thumper mentality, right? Not just mm -hmm. some, I am a big guy, but not just some big guy, but I, I really shined uh, in an area of the advanced work, right? And being able to actually sit down and, and find those vulnerabilities and think about things and ask questions that most people who were, you know, 20, maybe 30 years senior to me weren't really thinking about because they had been doing it for so long that it was just on autopilot. And um, lo and behold, to me, it, it turned out to be a knack, right? Because I, I was mm -hmm. inquisitive and I, I asked a lot of questions and um, I didn't take I didn't take things for status quo. And just because it was best practice, it mean it was the best way for us to do things. Um, so that's how I got in. Well, that's a high, it's a high speed environment um, and, and it takes a toll on you. And, and I wanted to slow down a little bit. So I, I transitioned uh, after about six or seven years into guard force management. And <laughs> you can't, um, you can't make up a, a more harder or a harder of a pivot uh, from EP to, to guard force management because the 
um, the people you are working with and the clientele that you are servicing is extremely different. Uh, but what became abundantly clear to me and, and what became my passion point um, is that we were just doing these guys a complete disservice, mm. right? Uh, you had a bunch of people uh, who were undervalued, underpaid, um, underskilled, and and underappreciated, right? And I think there's a big difference between value and appreciation. Uh, and I, th I thought I could do something about that. So I, I transitioned from guard force management into the training and development portion there. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I obviously did the, the run of the mill stuff. So I am still uh, firearms instructor, less lethal instructor, all of the things that people think are, are fun and cool. Um, <clears throat> but they're probably the least important areas that you can provide training in for anyone, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody who's on the first line or, or, the, or, or that first beacon, um, those are just parts of it, but it, it's not it, right? What I really took pride in is helping people uh, to become thinkers and understanding their environment, um, building into our curriculum, you know, situational awareness, uh, but more importantly, um, uh, an approach of dignity, right? Treating people uh, with the highest levels of respect, but also commanding respect at the same time and understanding that human interaction really is the game that we're in here. And if you first learn to master that, then usually you don't have to use any of those other things on your back belt. Um, and then that transitioned for me in, into a, a completely different area uh, where I went into human resource management. And that's where I find myself today. <clears throat> uh, did some consulting for uh, some of those big companies there. And I, I really found my sweet spot here in, in organizational development. Um, but I have a huge passion point for the security industry. I'm, I'm always going to be around immersed in within because it's such a high call that it's, it's undervalued and underappreciated. And I really do want to be one of those people that helps to, to change the face of that, right? To help people to understand security is not a job, it's a career. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's not a career for everyone because it's one that has to be fueled by passion. And there's a whole lot of different passion points that people can find within the industry. Uh, but if you don't have it, you'll, you'll quickly find yourself selecting out, right? It's not something you can wake up every day and, and just push a button. It's something you have to be invested in. And what I hope to do is to push people uh, to be a little more invested in themselves as they develop as professionals and then in turn to help organizations to be a little bit more invested in those people um, so that we can really uh, begin to shape this this next pathway uh, in, in a direction that it probably always should have been going. No, it's fantastic, and thank you for sharing that. And and I think it's you know it's interesting your your transition from. I like to talk a little bit about you know making that that shift from executive protection, which which is you know people pay a premium to uh, to have personal protection. Um, and and they see value in that, right? Because you know, for whatever purpose they have, um, whether you know they're a celebrity, high net worth, uh, you know, just you're you're at a place that requires that that level of care. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're obviously seeing um, that there is value to your security and value to you, and they treat you as such. And kind of there's this like. Um, premium on that um with with kind of standard guard services um it's not 
that's not always the case, right? Sometimes it's seen as like a necessary evil. Sometimes it's kind of this like mall cop. It's just like, you're there to just because I, I feel like I have to be there. I'm going to find the lowest cost option. Um, you know, as you're, and then, and then you're coming in and saying, we want to, I, you know, not only do I want to uplift this as a career and make it and make people want to do it, but then I have to try to articulate to, to a customer, the value of this asset mm-hmm. and, and that it's willing to pay more than $8 an hour because of what they do. Right. So, yeah. so talk a little bit about that, about maybe some of your, your challenges and struggles through, through that, that period of time when you were, when you were doing more of that, that, you know, guard services um, and, and kind of fighting that, that lowest bid mentality and and maybe what that like you know how how would you still knowing that maybe that 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 was it wasn't a choice right it was like to win that contract you're gonna have ten dollar an hour people so how do you make how do you make them operate like fifteen dollar an hour people even though they're only gonna get ten dollars an hour yeah wow that's a load that's a load of questions so let's let's start <laughs> first at the at the customer right yeah. Um, well, well, well known to you, right? Uh, one of the unfortunate facts uh, about the security industry in, in some areas um, is, is that customer centricity has been lost, right? Um, in, in fact, <clears throat> if you went to the lion's share of, of small security companies, and I'm going to say ones that are starting out, uh, maybe ones that employ, you know, under 300 guards. I, I'm not entirely sure that those who are leaders within the organization would be able to rattle off to you exactly what customer centricity is, right? Um, it certainly wouldn't be baked in, into their philosophy. You wouldn't find it in their mission. You wouldn't find it in their vision. You wouldn't find it in their core values. That's assuming that they have core values, mission, vision, Um and, and and I don't want this to be a broad um, stroke allegation here, right? There are certainly people who are who are coming in and who are squared away, but you do have that that fly by night um, element to it, right? You have a lot of small security companies where it's either like my Genesis story, it's some guys who were in law enforcement that retired and said, "Hey, I can do this," or maybe you have some guys who were who were bouncers and said, "I can go out and do this on my own." And not a lot of strategic thought or value has been placed into it, right? And then when you look on it on the other side, I'm going to make a hard turn here, so bear with me. There's been there's been no thought given to that EVP, right? And and the EVP is that invoice. It's just the employee value proposition, right? What is it that the employee actually gets from being employed by your agency? What do they get from being an employee of X security company? Uh, these are both afterthoughts and and how we changed that and and what we did is is that we took a two-pronged approach. We we wanted to make sure that we were providing maximum value for our customers externally, which are traditional customers, right? And then maximum value to our customers internally, which were our employees. Um, Mm. We wanted to treat and develop the relationships with our employees, our internal, and we'll call them for this conversation, our internal stakeholders. We wanted to approach them with the same ferocity 
that we approached the contract that we would go after, right? So if we were courting USDA, there's a certain level of button up that you have to have in that proposal that you're sending across. If it's not there, you're not in consideration. You're not going to get in. You're not going to get that contract. And that may, maybe, maybe it's USDA, uh, you know, maybe it's a class A building that you're looking for, but there's a certain level of, of, um, care with which you handle those opportunities and, and what we decided to do um is that we were going to handle the opportunities that we had with our most important stakeholders right our employees we were going to handle that with the same level of care every single day right and we were going to make sure that if you were going to be a leader in our organization that you were going to handle it with that same level of care every day because frankly um you're writing a proposal every single day when you're leading people who are underappreciated and undervalued and you, and you have to get them to first buy into that before you can sell any kind of a service. So the differentiator for us as an organization at that time was that we, we did believe, right. That we had the most vital asset in our people and we treated it as such. And that became contagious, right. And ultimately yeah. that led to us being able to think through customer centricity in a different way. Maybe we should talk about that maybe later at a later date. I'd love to talk about what customers yeah. means. Yeah, to well, and, and I think that's, and, and what I'd like to maybe take this opportunity out because you, what, what it sounds like, this is a good segue, what it sounds like you are describing in the company you had was you designed your organization with a focus on your values and customer first mentality, taking that customer centricity as the concept of your organizational design. So, so let's say so you, you were, I don't know if you meant to do that, but to me, you were, you're like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you're, you were, you were foreshadowing how you guys do it. And, and maybe that's what sparked your interest uh, or, or kind of like manufactured your, your passion for organization, organizational design, because it looks to me like yeah. you said, Hey, in order for us to compete, in a world of, you know, race to the bottom rates and huge conglomerate security companies, we need a differentiator and our organization needs to be designed to be different. And we did that by having these core values. So is that is that an accurate uh, assessment of what Very you much. guys did, putting that, yeah, putting that Very customer much. at the center of your organization? And the question that we asked, I think, is probably the one that's most important. Right. You have to ask yourself what your brand identity is going to be mm -hmm. right internally and externally. Brand identity is key. For us, we said we weren't going to be uh, a boutique firm. Right. It just okay. wasn't going to happen. That wasn't our niche. That wasn't our market. And that wasn't our workforce. We also weren't going to be bottom feeders. Mm -hmm. Right. We weren't going to be the guys who were going to come in and undercut everybody by 10 or 15 percent, pay their guys you know, less than what they deserve. And then it's a puppy mill. You got new guys coming onto a new post every 30 days, right? We, we weren't going to do that. So the question was, well, how do you, in an industry that is known for attrition, mm -hmm. how, do, how do you make that your differentiator? Mm -hmm. And for us, it was hard, but it was simple at the same time. We weren't going to be boutique. We weren't going to be high flyer. We weren't going to be bottom feeders, but we were damn sure going to be best value. Yeah. And, and, and what did best value means to me? It means it to us. It meant that you were absolutely 
going to get the best customer service that you could. It, it, our customer service was going to knock your socks off. You may have been paying um, Ramada rates, right? But you were going to absolutely get uh, Mandarin hotel service from us. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's because, and that, and what a spectacular thought process, too. It's like, you know, when you, I mean, I mean, the service, it's, it's it, the hotel industry is an interesting one to kind of juxtapose to, right? Because it's mm -hmm. like, we're not going to be the Motel 8. But we're also not going to be the continental, you know, continental, right? Like we're not, we're not there for that. Maybe one day, but, but, you know, maybe not, not. <laughs> but you know, we're going to be, like you said, the Ramada, but you're going to get like five-star high-end Hilton honors service. Right. And like, and that is such a, um, such an interesting way to look at it. And again, like, you know, th and, I, and I think a lot of it, you know, you having come through, the path that you that you did and 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 you can see like you know i was a bouncer as well um again same thing like all of us college athletes you end up finding mm -hmm. the the hole in the wall bar that the buddies all yeah. work at and you're like yeah we go do that too i'm nowhere as big as you as people who saw our presentation as gs no um but um uh no one that i needed to deal with was as big as you either so it worked out fine the the the, the the interesting thing though is that like I got in, I was a bouncer for three years and I got in one fight. Because if you were able to just, I mean, because I've been on the other end of that, you know, overserved or unable to get into the bar, whatever the situation is, right? And so if you just show a little bit of empathy and yeah. also like the part like and the one guy that I ended up did coming to like like fisticuffs with and throwing him out. He came back and apologized because I treated him fairly after it took place. Right. It was like, you, you yeah. know, so, you know, there, you know, so even looking at those interactions that, that you have, there's a way to do that with still having grace and empathy and kindness when you, when you even yeah, you have to take an action. Um, and the same thing, you know, with like, you know, you could lose customers and like it happens. Right. And so, but what usually in my opinion, my experience is that if you have that, if you're core to your values and your organization is designed in alignment to your values, not just signs on your, like anybody can, can walk into an office, right? You can, you know, like, you know, hustle, humble, you know, grind, you know, you know, customer All first, stuff. right? You can put anything yeah. on, on your wall. If it's not embedded into the DNA of your organization and you're not making leadership decisions based mm -hmm. on those, then, then it's worthless. Yeah. Um, it, I, 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 <laughs> the question then is going to come for that is, well, how did you do it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, for us, it was, it was just what you said, right? It, it was, it was a service first, right? So five years ago, uh, I think servant leadership popped up as a buzzword, mm -hmm. right? You, there, there were probably no less than a hundred books that came out a quarter on servant leadership probably five years ago. But it was a little more of a radical idea mm. 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it was it was a really radical idea when that was the leadership model that you were embodying for a paramilitary organization. Yeah. Right? Can I can uh, I tell you, can I can I vow real quick? Yes. I, I I've been thinking about this a lot recently. 
the topic of servant leadership. Because when I started my kind of like positive leadership journey, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's probably 2016. Um, when I first got my 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 first executive role and one of the you know, servant leadership wasn't really even kind of a, it was just starting to hit onto the scene. And I picked up um, a book by John Gordon called The Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And it was the first introduction to me around servant leadership. And they had a whole series of books he wrote thereafter. Um, and 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 I, I started recommending it to my peers and yeah, my boss. I'm pretty, sure sec- pretty sure that was a Christmas gift one year. Yeah, and and, and my, <laughs> my 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 uh my the president of my business unit, my boss, and so he we were doing our quarterly business review with the CEO, and he wanted to present a new org chart, inverted pyramid, him on the bottom of the pyramid, and our line workers on the top, mm-hmm. and he was too afraid to do it. He was too afraid to do it because of what the leadership was going to think about that concept of putting the employees first. Yeah. Now imagine that. Imagine that as being a real, you know, and we sat there and and I'm sitting here going, this is, this is awesome. Like, this is the way. And and he's going, ah, no, man, they'll just, they'll, they'll rip this apart. We spent more time debating on how he wanted to articulate his values to the, you know, the senior executive team. Um, and, and the, the, the sad thing was he operated that way. So it, it was like what he did on the, you know, and he was out there working with people and doing that stuff all the time. And it was like, um, but it was, he was afraid of of actually showing speaking to leadership that that was the right way to do it um yeah. so so you're spot on and i, I just wanted to, to share that because it's been something i've been kicking around in my head and ruminating about it right you know because it was it, how it all came is is we as a leadership team took a took a um an off-site to a manufacturing site down in Mexico together to look at, and and the and the site in Mexico was all in on this this whole newfangled servant leadership bit, and so it kind of like sparked, and and, and I was like, oh, I, I'm reading a book about that, like, and and you know, the carpenter, yeah, you know, you might be able to uh, um, guess from the title that there are you know Christian undertones to it, and carpenter, you know, being Jesus was a carpenter, right? There's there's some. So so I wasn't comfortable with sharing it with everybody because you know I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not trying to push my religious beliefs on you or anything, no. but there's a lot of great things in this book. So, um, but at any rate, uh, it to your point that at that today, every you know it, it, that's a broadly accepted concept. It's almost like table stakes right it's like it's like leadership and servant leadership are almost synonymous terms you don't even have to say it anymore it's the way it's expected to be yep six eight years ago it was radical it was like we do what no no stakeholders um shareholders first right you know like you know executive then employees last (laughs) so yes you know really really interesting for you to for you to frame it that way because it couldn't have been more true how 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 differentiating and radical it would have been at the time I think, I mean, I think his, from what you're telling me, I mean, he had 
he he was probably a trailblazer as well, right? He was looking at guard force management through the lens of customer centricity, right? And and just for the people who who may or may not be familiar with with what it is, but customer centricity is essentially making your business strategy um, central around your customer, right? What does that mean on a on a practical level? Well, you're going to be highly anticipatory, right? And it, it's a guessing game. But what you're guessing um, are going to be preferences. What do your customers want? What do your customers need? And how will they best receive the communication there? So if you turn that on its axis and you make the, 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 the core tenets of customer centricity your leadership philosophy, mm. right? What does a person need? What does a person want? And how am I best going to communicate that? Well, you're going to have to get down on somebody's level, right? There's none of the top shouting. There's no, there's, there's no top down stuff. There's also no bottom up stuff, right? It's straight across the board, right? You're, you're, you're treating people like people, but you're not treating people the way you want to be treated. Mm. You're treating people the way you des- they deserve to be treated. Right. And everybody deserves to be treated with dignity, respect, care, and compassion. That was our differentiator. Right. Is because we treated every single employee that we had with care and compassion, dignity, and respect. No matter the situation, doing great, doing a horrible job, you're still met with dignity because you're a human first. You're still met with compassion. Right. Which is we're not talking about the frilly stuff here. Compassion is simply understanding. Right. It's it's EQ. It's emotional intelligence. It's understanding the situation and how that person lays in that situation. Right. That that was it, John. It, it wasn't rocket science. It was just treating people like people. And, and when you are in so many toxic environments where you find one that's welcoming, people tend to want to stay. Mm. So that attrition monster that's out there in guard force management we cut it off right at the knees there right Uh, that's that's fantastic and before we shift gears a little bit here i mean one of the things that stands out to me is that um you know what's unique about i mean security security services guard force you know kind of our whole industry around security leadership management and everything wrapped up under it um security we're service industry mm-hmm. right we you know we we provide customer service mm-hmm. and and our officers our guard force they are the closest people to the customer yeah there's two things very um significant about that one um they will get more information than you can ever get from the customer so you go, you know, I do quarterly business reviews with my customer. I give them a scorecard, give me market feedback, threes, threes, four, three, four, you're doing fine. Mm-hmm. If I go talk to my officers and say, what's the vibe on the site? How are we doing out there? Mm-hmm. Then I'll get the real information <clears throat> if they trust me. Because if it's bad and they don't trust me and they think, if bad means they're doing bad, which means I'm going to replace them, they're going to be like, oh, it's good, boss. Everything's on the up and up. Like, what's the customer saying to you? We're fine. If they trust me, they're going to tell me, maybe proactively to your point, hey, what, you know, 
it's it's uh it's not doing too good like this is happening this is issue i'm hearing this about the customer or you know you know we need to fix this um and and conversely they are going to give off the vibe the, the customer is not going to judge me if I'm the security you know branch manager if I'm the portfolio manager whatever you know whoever I the GM they're not going to judge our success or failure by me mm-hmm. they're going to judge it by how my officers in the field yep. and so if I'm not treating them well right if they're not getting their paycheck on time if they're treating if they're getting treated like if they can't get an extra shirt from me, you know, all this stuff, right? These you, yeah. people laugh, but these are like real problems real that we've yeah. dealt with. You know, it's, it's like three hey, shirts, a, three pants, right? Yeah, like, and it's like so you you can't get a fourth. No man, that's on you. Pay for it. it's like give a guy give the guy some extra pants, right? Um, then because they're gonna complain and they're gonna complain to the customer, and they're gonna complain to any of the employees, they're gonna complain to anybody who can hear it. So, and they're just people, they're humans, right? So it's like understanding that about the business and building your organization in order to proactively mitigate a lot of those things you know it's uh it's one of those things where it's simple it's not easy um so let's shift into the actual concept of organizational design why don't you you know we've we've kind of dabbled around it and talked a little bit about the byproduct of doing it but you know what does it actually mean and and how would we apply it in let's let's kind of shift out of the security officer service provider let's talk about the security leader i'm a security director i'm a security manager why do i care about organizational design why is it and how do i apply it to to my my world well i'm going to answer that bottom part first right well Mm -hmm. the 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 middle part first why does it matter it's because it'll revolutionize your business Mm. there's there's very few things that will have the level of impact on your business, your 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 uh, customer feedback, um, your employee engagement, than taking the time to actually design your organization. Hmm. But what what is what does that mean? Um, it, it, it's pretty simple. Um, organizational design is, is really about how you're going to be structuring or how you're going to be arranging, um, your organization's resources. That, that's all it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's making sure that you're putting the right resources in the right places to achieve your business ambitions, whatever those ambitions are, whatever your business yeah. goals are. You're making sure that you're being thoughtful about the resources that you have and that you're allocating them in the in the appropriate places. Now, you don't want to confuse that with organizational development. Mm. Right? Organizational development are the, the tactile movement pieces, right? Um, organizational development is about people and behavior. Organizational design is about structure and resources. Mm. Very different. Now, you do have them working in tandem. And in my opinion, design comes before development. Mm. Um, But they're not, they're separate, they're equal, but they're connected. 
Yeah. Right. So, yeah. To, to the, they're complementary pieces, right? The way, the way I thought about it. And, and, you know, it's funny is like, you're going to, my hypothesis, and I'd, I'd like your opinion on this is that organizational design is going to happen whether you do it or not. Yeah. What it's either going to happen without a purpose <laughs> and without a plan and mm -hmm. just be, and then the byproduct is the outcome. You know, the outcome is going to then be, not thought through and and probably not as optimized as it could be, right? So when you think about like security manage, management, you're like, all right, I'm going to have security director, have security manager, have some shift leads, have some security officers, some operators. Okay, that's that sounds right, but does it right? Like like I remember, um, you know, that same when I was a security director meeting with HR for the first. They didn't call. I mean, I didn't even think about this until we were having this conversation. The, the our our head of HR was like. Hey, have you ever thought about if you have the right roles on your team? And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. You're like, yep. well, what do you like? You know, you have this person and this person, and they kind of do a little bit of this and do. Have you ever looked at the needs of your organization and whether or not you have the positions that you need to fulfill the outcomes that are desired? And I was like, I don't know. I never, you know. No, right. And, you know, little did I know that she was and then we sat there and we iterated for for almost a month on creating the right seats on the bus yeah. before moving the people, you know, in, in some either realizing we don't have a person for this role or we don't have a role for this person. Yep. Right. So, so, so really getting clean and clear on what your mission is, what your values are, what the outcomes that you want to have take place. And then do you have the people to, to do that mission or do you have people on your team who shouldn't be there? Yeah. There's so two yeah. things you said there that's super important framework and functions. Hmm. Right. So from a security leader standpoint, organizational design, first thing you want to do, what is my framework, mm. right? What it, how am I going to operate this? And then within my framework, what are the different functions, right? So um, you may have an element, I'm going to, I'm going to speak very broadly here, right? So I'm thinking about a, a corporate security program. You may have that physical security aspect. You may have risk mitigation, right? Um, you may have some due diligence over there in another corner. You may have cyber. Okay, that's great. How do all of these things function together, right? And, and then more importantly, like how are they communicating with each other? So one of the things we, we know is that you can have super robust functions and pockets in different places, but if they're not communicating, when it really matters, it's all going to go to shit, right? We, we've learned that, at, unfortunately, at super high levels, right? Like on a national level, we've had some pretty huge catastrophes that happen as a result of that failure to communication, or failure to communicate, and that um, failure to feed ramp, right? Um, you have to think about it the same way. Like what, what is that framework? And then what are those functions? Um, and then you go within... You go from framework to function to define responsibilities, right? What are the responsibilities of each aspect of that team? Because there's cross-pollination and everything, right? So you, you have to know who owns what, how it works together, 
And then that's, that's the first step. Um, one of the benefits of that, I mean, I just kind of alluded to it. Um, it's always going to be improved efficiency, mm -hmm. right? When things are running, they're humming. Um, the other thing you can always count on is going to be improved levels of communication. Why is that important? Well, that's always going to be a driver of your culture, right? Culture is always going to be what shows up on the job site. Um, that's going to be a huge part there. Uh, you'll have better risk management. Why is that important? Well, you'll be able to think more strategically, right? And, and, and I want to point out that there's a difference between risk management and risk mitigation. Um, you'll also find that your organization is more adaptable, right? You'll be more cognizant of what's going on around you. And as a result, you'll be able to evolve with the threat, with the threat level that's evolving or with the threats that are coming um, to the organization. You can count on having a, a more streamlined decision-making process, right? Because mm -hmm. people understand who they are. They understand where they're supposed to be. They understand how they play into the framework, but more importantly, they understand the ownership level um, within their function. Um, things begin to integrate a little bit better when you take the time to design. And, and then, okay, so you have all of these wonderful things. Well, how do you sustain all of this? Because the sustainment portion of that is going to be the organizational development portion, right? So very different things. What's organizational development? It's it's the behaviors that's going to sustain, right, um, the functions that you put in place. It, it's going to be things like culture. Um, it's going to be things like the leadership that you have in place. It's gonna be things like those core values, right? And then how do you break that down on a, on a basic level? Okay, I've got a, my physical security branch over here. Uh, we've got some outstanding leaders, they're charismatic, they know their stuff, they're sharp. Okay, great. Um, that doesn't matter. If nobody's listening, nobody's following, it doesn't matter. Okay, well, how do you do that? Well, then that breaks down to your core values, right? Are you living out your core values every day that you put on the paper and that you have on the back of your shirts and it's on the little sticky cards that was stupid? It was a big thing for us when we first came into the industry. People would put all their core values on the stupid-ass baseball card and it, you'd shove it in your wallet and the only thing you use it for was to pick food out of your teeth when you fell asleep. Um <laughs> Sorry to the guys who still think that, and that's a great idea. If it works for you, keep doing it, but it's stupid. Um, but if my leader doesn't show up authentically displaying those values every single day, well, then the rest of it is awry, and I don't care anything about what you have to say. I think the company's a fraud, and then it doesn't work, right? So um, you have to be really thoughtful about these things, because if you're not, then unbeknownst to you, they'll be really impactful. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, you know, the, the, that's such a great point. And I think, you know, one of the, what I found also is, is when I discovered, so all at the same time, and I, and I think it was just kind of like a, a virtuous collision of great timing where at the same time where my uh, uh, human resources was asking me to ask these questions, I also discovered ESRM as a concept mm -hmm. and, and created my organizational design around ESRM so that it could have those concepts, those frameworks, and that, um, the, the cycle of continuous improvement built into it, yes. which was, which was 
you know, working at a manufacturing company where uh, continuous improvement and, and lean manufacturing was the core of their of their identity, it really fit really great in there. And so that helped So two things that helped build the structure. And then having that having that clarity also allowed me to articulate succession planning, training, and and um, individual development a lot easier when I could say, you know, these are kind of the core competencies that we're building out in our organization. We had, you know, um, you know, physical security, you know, we had, you know, technology, we had business intelligence, we had risk management, we had these, you know, and, and we also had our, our um, government security, kind of these foundational core groupings, and, and then attaching, so that was the design, and then attaching the development of these are the core skills that are associated with each one of these. So if you, you're going to have to know how to manage cleared and classified programs to do over here, but if you want to know physical security technology and you can apply those things to each other. And so then you start cross-pollinating and cross-training, and then you're saying, oh, and if you want to become a leader, then you might have to, and, and I'm going to dig into this next week. I, I have, um, uh, 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 recording an episode on Monday. It'll, it'll go next Thursday with uh, John Perillo, who I met out in GSX. He's an awesome guy. He came to our to our uh, our talk there. Um, he's got this concept called the spear and the shield, and mm. and and the spear is the specialization, and the shield is like the generalization and kind of the leader. You know, builds a, a broader shield as they know more and more and and they still need their spears who can specialize and go deep in one place but they're mm -hmm. building out their shield where they can cover more ground and do more stuff and so i love that concept and him and i are going to go really deep into it but you know that that this makes me think of that where you know you know when i when i got into my my space was was you know security you know personnel guard services then I broadened that into security technology mm -hmm. and, and kind of physical security as a as a broader um, topic. But then added on these other competencies, but which but more or less like just became really good at enterprise security risk management and use that as an overlayer that then I like didn't really have to learn a ton about, you know, like, you know. Yep. government property i didn't have to go become a, a deep specialist in it because it was just like all right what's how much do i need to know there's compliance requirements there's things the government requires us to do there's things the customer needs to do we got to make sure we do that we got to apply the same concepts that we do in other compliance areas and then i'm going to go find some good good people who know how to do that really really well and rely on them and give them all the support and train them and and, and you know be there to support them versus trying to do it myself um so anyway a bit, a bit of a diatribe there but, but you know but no, that, no. you know that was um you know that that's how i felt about it and and i want to ask you so so then you know one of the other areas you specialize in is that training talking you alluded to it earlier that training piece so now mm -hmm. you got your organization designed you got the competencies you got the culture you got that so like so how does how does the people training fit into this how do those things complement one another oh, man well, I think it's it's um at the most basic level, it's it's making sure um that you're keeping your organization honest. Mm. Right. So um 
one of the most important things that you can you can train on or that you can well let's let's first back up a little bit what is training right so when you think of training <clears throat> it happens a, a bunch of different ways i i think that we we it's we always leave off the development part right and and, and I, I i'd love to see it get reversed instead of training and development i'd love to see it get turned into development and training right um because it's about embedding stuff right mm -hmm. and, and you have to ask yourself what are the things that i want to embed uh, there, there's always going to be cultural aspects that i want to embed right those are going to be your your core values right but it's also going to be the way you live up to your service right it's going to be well not necessarily live up to your service but it's going to be the way that you provide your service rather mm -hmm. right and and what i mean of that is mean by live up to your service um it's it's are you going to be able to live up to the contract that you've signed right mm -hmm. verbally and non the, the wet contract is one thing but the contract that is silent between every customer right and the service provider you're going to do the things that you say you're going to do but you're not just going to do them you're going to do them with a level of excellence well what does that look like that's that's where transition into the development portion right development and training portion training and development portion um you're obviously going to do the the normal stuff right those hands-on skills but you're going to be embedding your culture into the way that you do that mm. right what what is what is the organizational um heartbeat and lifeblood right you you want to make sure that that makes its way into every single course that you present um on the other side, like you're gonna have the, the stuff that is not role specific, but maybe it's an awareness program for the organization. Maybe there's a new initiative, right? That you need to train people on. That could be something like your, like your HRIS system, right? You're onboarding people onto a new workflow or, some, or something like that, or you're going to work day or something like that from, from an old one you move from HX to work day. Um, but then you're always gonna have the opportunity to make sure that your people are staying current, right? Um, that they're aware of emerging threats, they're aware of changes in the industry, they're aware of their best practice, new design. You're always going to be embedding those things. Um, you all, but the, the, the caveat is the delivery, right? How are you transferring this knowledge? How are you performing the knowledge transfer? It depends on the situation. It depends yeah. on the people. It depends on what it is that you need to get out there, what the information is, but, but you have to be multifaceted. Um, but you always have to make sure that you tie anything that you deliver back to your core messaging. Yeah, I think that was the, like, excuse me, the one thing you said that stood out that I just love is, is like having your values and like no matter what you're training on, mm -hmm. making sure it ties back to like, you can't, you can't outsource training meaning like you know so like if if you a lot of companies of any kind and sort will you know they'll, they'll buy an lms system just slap their logo on it and you're just taking you're just clicking through you know random yeah. training you know that which is which you know checks the box but does it develop your people and and when we're talking about like certain um 
types of training, whether it's just compliance, like, you know, I live in Minnesota, I'm a remote employee, I have to read the Minnesota uh, workplace requirement, you know, documentations for, for my company to stay compliant. All right. So I don't necessarily think that needs to be delivered to me in any sort of unique or specific way that is connected to the values of my employer. But if I'm taking, you know, any other training that that really wants to connect me or develop like leadership development training or individual development training, you know, it should have, uh, especially in today's day and age where you could take 45 minutes and record a loom video and yeah. And 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 make a make a Google slide and be like, here's our training on X topic coming mm-hmm. directly from an executive or a leader or somebody. And like that, you know, to me, that's training and development because I'm putting my fingerprints on that and I'm making sure as the leader, my message is the thread that's being pulled through all the employees. I, I listened to an audio book. Um it's by Lisioni. Um uh, the same guy who wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah, Max. Uh, like, Max Lee's dealing. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. called like um, like Four Essentials of an Executive or something like that. And and similar to um, to Five Dysfunctions, it's it's a story, right? He's so mm-hmm. so so he's telling his story, um, about this uh, you know, this startup company, this this where the the CEO and founder, and actually. Shout out to Ryan Schoenfeld, the CEO at, at, at Hivewatch. He does this too. He's the final conversation for every interview. Mm-hmm. And it's not because he wants to, he's not, he's not a, and in, in the story and, and for Ryan um, at Hivewatch, it's not because he's a, he's a micromanager and it's not because he wants to have the final say. He doesn't have the final say. He wants to articulate the value, the vision, and the mission to everybody who's coming. Yeah. In. Yeah. And so every single person is going to hear the why and what we do, which is why we've built such a unique culture. It's why it's why people, you know, love being a part of the company and why people take a risk on working at a startup. Um and 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 grind out, you know, do a lot of crazy hours and do a lot of crazy stuff. It's because people believe and they're connected. Yeah. And so that's the power of embedding your vision, your mission, your your and and it's funny because you know we pride ourselves on customer centricity, and I hadn't really heard that as a verbalized concept until I came to this company. And so it is it is something that. Um, you know, just again, shout out to Hive Watch. They do this very well, and 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 it's one of the reasons I'm you know joined them and I'm still here is because they live by this. Um, and and again, it's not it's not it's simple. It's not easy, right? It's simple yeah. because the concepts are so simple. It's like mm-hmm. do the right thing, treat people well. Uh, you know, actions speak louder than words, but it's really easy to stray from it. If you don't make it a part of your day to day, so with that, let's let's as we kind of wrap this thing to a close. Yeah. Like if you were if you were giving you know, security leaders, like you know what's what's my what's my checklist? You know we like our checklist, we like our cheat sheets. Like if I wanted to start 
I need to, I need to implement an organizational design. Like, where do I start? What do I do besides reaching out to Joe Henry and hiring you as a consultant to help them? Because that, that's the first way, but, but like, are there, you know, is, are there, are there books, are there resources or podcasts? Like where does someone go to learn more about this topic? Mm. Well, I, I think there's the, the simple thing uh, first that they can do and that anyone can do um, is, is sit down and, and really examine uh, mission, mm. vision, values. Uh, are they congruent? Do they say the same stuff? right um is your mission your vision and is your vision your mission or do you have them straight right S start there um and then once you have that blow it up by asking your asking yourself one question why mm. right if your why doesn't map to your mission vision and values you've got it all wrong you've got a bigger thing and that you need to start on um once you realize that those things are in place um then you need to start thinking about um, three R's, right? You need to be thinking about resources. You need to be thinking about roles. And you need to be thinking about realism. Resources is, is what I have. Roles is, is how I'm going to execute. And realism is, is can I actually do this stuff with the resources and the roles that I have? Take that to uh, the next step. Once you figured all that stuff out, you're going to be well on your way. Then you need to get on to a, a Dave Erlrich podcast or um, any video that you can find of him on YouTube. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a professor at the University of Michigan's School of Business. Uh, never met him, but absolutely brilliant mind. Uh, he, he is uh, rewriting the landscape of, of HR, what it means to be a strategic um, human resource leader. Um, so he, he jumps all around these concepts and, and, and he presents them in very refreshing ways. Um, and he's challenging what human resources will look like in the future. He, he's kind of the, the, the beacon or the voice that I listen to on the future of HR and what it's going to look like. Um, that's a great place to start there. Um, I think another place to start uh, in, a, in a less conventional way. Uh, is going to be you're going to want to um, find anything that you can um, by two people. Uh, it's going to be Dante Pinnell and Dave Altman. Uh, these two gentlemen lead an organization, uh, Wellbeing at Work, or WOW. Um, it's going to be powered by Carrots, and they are challenging the way that everybody works by making well-being the center of what you do. Mm. So. Uh, any business that is not intently focused on well-being will be obsolete probably in the next five years, um, maybe three. And, and you can you can timestamp that right now. That if if you if you're not intently focused on well-being, and the well-being of your employees, which ultimately ensures the well-being of your organization, and the six essential elements that get you there, you, you don't you don't have anything to stand on. Um, so. Dave so, Alvich, I guess it's it's the tale of the two Daves, right? Dave yeah. Alman, Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave Erich. Um Yeah, I, I would start those places. Oh, those are great. And we'll try to grab uh, links to all of that and put them in the show notes to make people's lives easier for them. Um, 
or just a quick Google search. And I'm sure they can, they can find all of those things as well. La last thing I want to talk, cause I want to, cause I, I can already hear the naysayers um, saying, uh, questioning whether they have agency to do this. And so I want to nip that in the bud before it's even a concept. And what I mean by that is that I'm a security manager. I work at a, you know, a, a fortune 1000. I report to the head of legal, um, and I'm sitting and, and I may be sitting here asking myself, well, how, you know, I don't have ownership over, you know, what roles are I, I, you know, I need to go ask permission to do this. Um, you don't do you, do you, yeah. So, so I agree with you. So, so what, so <laughs> talk to that when people think like that, that they can't do this because yeah, why is that a false narrative? It's a false narrative because this this starts at the very thing that you almost landed that sentence with, and it's basic, it's ownership, mm. right? Organizational design is, is how you're going to be interacting with people, processes, and ultimately driving performance. You have 100% control over the processes that you design. You have 100% control over the way you interact with people, and you have 100% control over the way that leads to the performance in the area that you're responsible for. Mm. So um, this is strategic leadership 101, right? It's the most basic level of strategic leadership. So whether you are in charge of one person, you have one direct report, um, or if you have 100,000 people, you have your own organization, you are designing your organization, you are thinking and, and, and um, living out right? You're thinking resources, you're thinking roles. Start with those two, right? And then you're thinking about, can you, is it realistic the way that you're designing it and how you approach it will determine if it's realistic or not. Yeah. I, I will say that you never need anyone else's permission to treat your team well no. and focus on the well-being of your, of your organization, like you said, and ultimately um, a positive outcome for your customer. Uh, you know, no one's going to get mad at you, or if they do, you should probably be looking for a new job, because yeah. if 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 that's in conflict, if if you're if you so you know we, we're you know, we've been on record for about an hour now. If anything we've said over this hour, if you were to put it into practice at your place of work and get in trouble for it, you are working at the wrong place, and you should immediately contact both of us, and we'll find you a new place to work. Yes, <laughs> because, because this this stuff shouldn't be controversial. No, it shouldn't be something that you look at and go, "Oh, I can never do that." Right? These 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 should be foundational, basic ways of operating. That, um, but like you said, I mean, like we talked about, you know, twenty minutes ago, there was a time where the concept of servant leadership was was thought to be radical. Mm -hmm. That putting your employees before yourself as a leader. Um, and, 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 and kind of egoless leadership. And now, and it's still, I will, I would, I would submit to you. It is while it's, it's still the exception today. Like actual practice of it is still the exception. Yeah, you know, I think you interact with it more often, um, because people are promoting it. You're, you're seeing it be more embraced, but I, but you know, I, 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 I am in uh experience a ton of resistance 
to the concept of positive leadership because people are like, oh, you can't, you can't be nice to everybody all the time. I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about here. You know, you can, I can hold people accountable respectfully. Yeah. I, I, I can, I can, I can, you know, have empathy. You know, I can still, you know, you know, if, if we had, if we hit a rough patch and we have to reduce headcount, you can still do that in a way that keeps people keeps people's humility and 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 well-being intact yeah i tend to think that there's ways to avoid that and and that's that's a you know you know that's a whole different other conversation around how to run your organization more effectively and not be you know so focused on you know you know uh you know wall street and and those kind of things i mean those those are big company problems and luckily i don't have to deal with them anymore uh yet uh you know who knows in the future that might not be the case but um yeah, no. So, so all to say, you know, it's it's unfortunate that at times these things are considered controversial when they should just be basic ways of operating. Yeah. But two things: not only are they not, but in our industry, they tend to be even more, even less so because we're considered a you know fire and brimstone, right. you got to be a badass, you know, um, type industry. And so, so more so, it's 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 not adapted. So. Um, so uh, let's, as we wrap things up here, though, then, then you know, what's like maybe one last piece of advice or guidance or or, or nugget of wisdom you would give our listeners um, on, you know, their journey towards, uh, you know, designing their organization in a more effective and efficient way? Just be intently focused on streamlining everything and over communicate hmm. streamline it all and over communicate um make sure that the why is at the center of everything that you're doing and that people fully understand um and have assumed that why right like whatever your cultural aspects are that needs to resonate with your people and it needs to be why you're doing it every like start with why um and, and build everything out from there no it's fantastic i think i think uh very well said and very well put well joe thank you so much for for your time um and uh um and 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 unpacking this topic with me i think it's it's there's still a long way to go for for our our industry and just i think industry in general and embracing and understanding the importance of this applying it effectively into uh, how we do business and then knowing that it's a constant gardening activity this isn't a one time yeah. thing this is a this is ongoing the the shifts of 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 the marketplace of of your industry wherever you're doing you know you know this is something that you got to touch and 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 be working on you know consistently and constantly just like anything else um I'd love to have you back on to dive deeper into the concept of customer uh, centricity. I think that's such a, uh, again, a, a, an oft used buzzword, not often effectively applied. And it'd be a great, great uh, conversation to have with you and delve into, dive into that a little bit more detail. So appreciate you joining us tonight. Um, thank you very much for your time. Um, been great speaking with you and let's go do great things. Yeah. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure.